This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Where you brought in all the disciplines and all the different 
courses and subjects of learning one big institute, that was a woman. Midwifery by her as well. And it, our history from there is rich of so many sisters and women where Hijab played no role in keeping them backwards. Till today, alhamdulillah, in the modern world, just that they don't make it too much in the media or we don't read about it. You know, we have Nobel Prize winners in Hijab from top to bottom. It did not stop them. Top surgeons, top, top um, engineers even, in, in every shape and form. Hijab itself does not put a person backwards. It's the mindset. And if you listen to what these people say, if you let it be something that puts you backwards, but if you really do think about it, what is it about it that keeps you backwards? What, even for a Muslim, where you wear your beard, you want to wear your beard out of worship, what keeps you backwards about that? You want to change your skin color and your name and your identity and everything because there's going to be people who are not even happy with your name. If you have self-respect and people see you stand up for with integrity to what you believe in strongly and the community helps each other and supports one another and we as Muslim men, we look up to our sisters too and we let them feel that they are important and that we cannot do it without them. Because as the Prophet said, and women are the peers of men. Do you know what peers means? Peers means they are equal to men. They're not equal in their roles. They're equal to the men in their purpose, in their identity, in their if they are Muslim, they're the same. Our sisters are our peers. We complement each other. They have strengths and weaknesses, and we have strengths and weaknesses, and we complement each other like a jigsaw. That's what the Prophet said, and he said, and he said amongst his last words before he died, so I said, I bequest you, O men, to treat your women with goodness. And I speak to my sisters as well, that you do not need the Western influence, this liberalist, modernist, so-called progressive, secularist ideologies today. These are all just names they make up. Do you not see the rate of depression rising? Do you not see the rate of anxiety rising? Do you not see the rate of fakeness rising? People just throwing all sorts of opinions and morals as they wish. You understand that nobody that, and nobody, no science. I have a science background, and I've never studied in science in all my life. That science deals with morals and ethics. Yeah, science does talk about ethics. Is ethically right? Is ethically right? But science itself, the process of science, does not test ethics and morals. They leave it up to the society and people. And people, they have all sorts of thoughts. This is right. This is wrong. I remember ten years back, the beard was only people. If you had a beard, you were called a terrorist, an extremist, or a fundamentalist. Now the beard is in fashion. It looks cool. It looks attractive. Non-Muslim people are more beers than us. Do you see how the wind changes all of a sudden? Are we going to follow the wind as it takes us? We're going to stand firm. The hijab has only given empowerment to women. Yes, people say a lot of rubbish, but that's up to you. If you want to respect that, respect your faith. I hear, I see sisters who don't wear the hijab at all. But then when they talk about the hijab, they talk in its defense with fierceness. Why? Because Alhamdulillah, we have our deen and our Islam. We know that this is something that gives us our true identity and power. The Quran doesn't say hijab. 
Anyway, you don't, you don't feel that some people, some Muslims even recently, one sister said, what, what? She wrote to me saying, I have a friend who something's gone wrong. She, she's taken off her hijab and she says, there's no way you can a man that says you've got to wear hijab. And this is a sign of the lack of understanding of Quran. What is it? The Quran does not say hijab because the garment, the, the covering that our sisters wear, is not called hijab. It was never called hijab. At the time the Prophet wasn't called hijab. It was just called a clothing, a woman's clothing. It was called a sitter. A sitter means a screen. And all people, all women, always wore lots of clothing. The only difference is that when the Quran came down, the Quran said to the women, said to the Prophet to tell the women and for us to remind our sisters and to explain to them that Allah has said. So Allah said, Allah said to the Prophet, tell the believing women and your, tell your wives and the believing women. Tell your wives and your daughters and the believing women. So you've got to start your family first. To draw their garments, their outer garments, their, their jalabim, and there's a word khimar, over the opening around their necks. That's called a jain. A shame is that when you wear something, a v-neck or any kind of whatever, that, that there is called a shame, it's like a pocket. He said to them, just draw yours and cover your entire necks in front because the women weren't doing that. Not Muslim women, all women. So it, it's a clothing. In fact, hijab is just a modern word. We use it, we know what it means, but it's not the correct definition. Hijab just means to, to, to cover. So if a person's wearing shorts, you are covering. That's called a hijab too. Pants is hijab, meaning you are covering, you're covering, covering your legs. You wear a shirt, you're covering your, your torso. You know, you're wearing long sleeve, you're covering your arms. It's a cover. But sitter is a screen. What do you put? What do you put a screen on? Allah says everything except for the face and the hands. That's according to the hadith. Now I'm not going to go into detail about that. Maybe one day, inshallah, we'll talk about the fitnah aspect of it. But like our brothers and sisters, we have each other, alhamdulillah. And Allah already told us, if there any new words that hurt you. And just always remember, there have been people who wanted to kill Islam, kill the Muslims, break it, find anything wrong with them, and then later on, they themselves convert to Islam. Use them as your inspiration. Many of our sisters, we've got many celebrities, many singers, who now converted or now wear the hijab. I remember one, Brother Abhiya told me about it. She's an Indian um, actress, very, very famous, very beautiful, very all that stuff that people talk about, attractiveness and whatever. And in the end, she's a Muslim. And then she put on the hijab. And the, 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 the interviewer asked her, why did you do it? What made you do it now? She said, I watched a funeral. And I didn't want the first day that I wear my hijab is the day when they're washing me to bury me. Because when you wash uh, women in the janazah, in the burial, with the, the funeral, we cover their head. And she said, wow, I don't want that first day to cover my head is the day when I have to go into my grave. So I'm going to do it beforehand. Hijab is an act of worship, divine, from Allah, not from men. We did not say to women, cover up. This is not a man's thing. In fact, I can argue there, there are all sorts of feminist 
feminism is, has many different streams. It's not one type of feminist. And originally it had good intentions from the Western view. But as time went on, I can argue that men themselves liked the idea of feminism in the beginning because they needed women to go out and work in the workplace and to pay them less and so on and so forth after the World War um, after World War One and World War Two. So what I'm saying is Allah is the one who sent down the commands. Had He said to the men, cover your hair, we would cover our hair. Had Allah said to us, cover your face, the men, we would say yes. O Lord, we can obey your command. Had he said, don't, don't, well, don't cover your head, we will tell our sister, don't cover your head. We do not make the rules. Allah is the one. And if you love Allah, and you obey Allah, and you trust in Allah, and you know that you came from Him, you're going to return to Him, you make that decision. Based on your faith and beliefs, don't let the people around you. They are a test to you. They are a test. All these people around us, says they are a test of our faith. Allah says in the Quran, do humans assume that they will be left alone just to merely say with their mouths, we believe, without being tried and tested from their belief? You're going to be put to the test as evidence of what you are claiming. Men and women, this is our belief in Hakkadah. And we have thousands, over a thousand years of evidence to prove our glory in Hakkadah. It's just been about a hundred years. And we are the only religion, alhamdulillah, in the world who in such a large number still adhere strongly to the traditions, to the, to the original teachings of our religion. Have you thought about that? And why? Why is it that good? What, why, what do they want from us? Why pick on our women? We see lots of women being persecuted around the world. Talk about them. Now that the issue of the hijab came up, or they should have a choice, this is a Western ideology. This is called bullying, manipulation. Let them say what they want to say. We're not following Iran. We're not following Iraq. We're not following Saudi. We're not following, following, following anybody. We are following Quran and Sunnah. We don't have a country that we follow. We don't have a people that we follow. We follow Allah's Messenger. And that's till the end of time. We are unique. Impeccable in our religion is Look at us. There is nobody that he is taught as much as the Muslims. And I think this is what they envy you for. All out of ignorance. Do you know of a place in the world where millions of people, men and women, every single minute, listen carefully, every single minute, not hour, minute, except for the five daily prayers. Night and day, for 1,300 years, with a few gaps here and there, in Mecca, in Mecca, in the Haram, the sanctuary, Kaaba, around the Kaaba, there are two hills called Safa and Harwa. People continue to walk between them exactly seven times. Why? Because of one single woman, her name is Hajar, who existed nearly 5,000 years ago, the wife of Abraham. We are practicing exactly her footsteps between these two hills. Who honors women the way Islam does? The problem, the problem 
is that some of us, because of our little bit of ignorance religion or shakiness, their little words, like bullies in a classroom can call the intelligent kids nerds, like them. It's full of names because I don't know what else to call them, but the vocabulary is not good enough. When we let their words get to us, we start to interpret our practices as backwards ourselves. But when you think about it, I think, what's the big deal about a few, a bit of clothing? Why is it a big deal to you? Why do you hate it so much? Why can't a woman still speak and be intelligent, educated, and come into, um, be an influence, do it, you know, do great things, while she still wears her hijab? What's, what's the problem with that? What is the problem with that? This is the question. What is the problem? Nothing. So my brothers and sisters, stick to it. Life is short. And Allah says many things. It's called the, the surah of the hypocrites. Lots of people are hypocrites today. Allah says on the day of judgment, those who believe will be reclining on high towers and beautiful couches in paradise. They will be laughing at those who used to laugh at them in this world. Allah says, what do you think of such an end? Have I not made, made it up to you as a result of what these Islam-hating people said, used to say and do? Or say, yeah, I don't know, maybe I'm not young by the woman. They will soon come to know. May Allah guide them. May Allah guide them. But you're not going to sit in a room, in a classroom, where you're doing so good. And because of a few other students who, who just can't do as good as you, you don't let them get to you and you stop your, your achievements. Continue. That's the integrity. Don't let people tell you what to do. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala strengthen our woman. Bless you all. Bless your hearts. I just thought I'd give a little short one. I mean, this, I, I need a whole lecture on this. I'd like to take it, you know, step by step. I've so much good to tell you. Some, some tools that you can take with you. And so that whenever you see or hear people like that, you know exactly how to think. And even how to respond. Anyway, inshallah ta'ala, to stick to the truth, my dear brothers and sisters, and you will be triumphant. Have self-respect, you will force people to respect you, even if they hate it. Because people respect people who stick to a value and they're so sure of it. Say, how are you so sure? It's amazing how you just, you know what you're doing. Because many people don't know. Just following, following, like sheep, whatever. They go this way, we'll go this way, go that way, we'll go that way. Influencers tell them this and they just bring the views. We have those hijabi influences. If you've heard of them, they go on, get, they get all these views, they make our these sisters who wear the hijab feel like they're, they've got someone who stands up for them and really understands them. And before you know it, many of them took it off because the money started coming in. And big businesses offered them even greater things. They took it off and they changed their tone. All my life I've been, you know, struggling with it anyway. I just didn't tell you. And you know, I'm just being me, you be you. You know, these statements, they're lying to you. She used you to make money. And now she's big. She's got bigger people. She's got bigger, bigger support. Maybe not all of them. But at least it, it, it is a betrayal. It is a betrayal. Influences can betray you big time. Brothers and sisters, be unique. Be independent and be powerful. Stick to your own beliefs. You don't need people to tell you what to do. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala strengthen you all. Brothers and sisters, we have about half an hour maximum. So, let us go back to the great heroes. The heroes, the real people who were cool. They were amazing. They were triumphant. 
They were the role models. Even though they're not with us today, we still have every aspect about their life. We know how they smiled. We know how they walked. We know how they ate. If one of them spat on the floor, we know they spat. We know, alhamdulillah, because only the best of people you know their entire history. The ins and outs. I think this is a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We do not know of any history, of any individual in history that has so much detail about their lives like our Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him and his companions that were around him. Be glorified with that. Let us look at this great man, Abu Bakr I've already talked about his childhood. I've talked about as he grew up. I talked about how he became Muslim. Talked about his characteristics. Talked about who he are, who he is. I talked about what Khalifa means. How long Islam ruled in the world for over 1,300 years. How far it reached. We talked about what makes a Khalifa, a Caliph. What does it mean? How was he elected? Why? And so on. And last week we talked about his relationship with the Prophet And up to here we now understood that he was the best friend of the Prophet peace be upon him in his life. There was no one closer to the Prophet peace be upon him right outside of his family than And I say his family because the believing family were his blood. But he also had family who were disbelievers. In fact, some of them were enemies, like Abu Lahab. But Abu Bakr was the closest friend of the Prophet So let us learn from the man who walked and talked and was raised with the Prophet Muhammad in every aspect of the way. He loved him more than himself. So last week we spoke about how the famous story of him and the Prophet they were migrating from Mecca to Medina. They were leaving their home and going to Medina so Islam could be established was going to be about to be spread the world. But there were enemies running after them. And there was, a, there was this leader named Abu Jahl. He went out and grabbed the leaders of Mecca and they made, um, they, they, they um, what's the word for it when you write a notice? And, uh, they had a bounty on his head. They had a bounty on the Prophet said whoever is with him. And they offered, I think it was a thousand camels for whoever can bring him dead or alive. Because they knew he had escaped because they wanted to assassinate him, the Prophet. And there was a man named Surata ibn Malik. Surata was still a non Muslim. He converted to Islam later on. This man was one of the most fierce warriors. He never fell off his horse. He goes out to try and find Muhammad and his companion. We'll come back to him very shortly. When the Prophet woke up in the cave of Thawr, do you remember the cave of Thawr, the story of Thawr, where they hid him there and the cobweb and all that story we talked about last time? So the enemies came and they couldn't see them, so they ran off. They went to look somewhere else. At that point, the Prophet, peace be upon him, Abu Bakr, he said to him, Ya Abu Bakr, what what's wrong? Because Abu Bakr was shaking, he said, Yes, Allah, Abu Jahl was standing right above him. If he just looked down with his eyes, he would have looked and seen my eyes, and they would have killed us. The Prophet laughed. He said, Ya Abu Bakr, ma Abu Bakr, what do you think when I tell you there are two people in the cave and Allah is their third? Allah in Allah ma'ana ya Abu Bakr. Allah is with us. Allah is always with you. Stand by that. But you have to plan as well. Rasulullah planned. He didn't just sit there and say, Allah's with me, no one's going to get me. If he is the messenger of God 
And Allah is protecting him, yet he still had to make strategies. He still had to plan. He was going out of so much secrecy. And in fact, he was supposed to go this way. Instead, he went that way. Why? So that he can make the, the people who are after him, so they can be lost. You know, it looks like he went the other way. He's not going to Medina. He's supposed to go to Medina. So they went looking for him that way in Medina, and he took the other route. He went the other way. So he's planning and doing strategies. A Muslim doesn't sit there like a guinea pig. You make strategies. You plan to, the, to every resources that you have. Then they got out of the cave and they went in the direction of Medina this time. On their way, they got very hungry and very thirsty. There was a woman, a very old woman, who was known. She had a little house and a tent that was on the way in the deserts. That was an Arab custom there. She dedicated her and husband their life to be there. They had some goats and sheep. And any travelers that went past in the desert, they used to offer them food, drink, and if they wanted to sleep for a night or two or three. This was a custom of the Arabs. So the Prophet arrived. She had never seen him before, only heard about him. And the Prophet was with his friend Abu Bakr, and with them was um, a servant and a guide. This woman, her name was Umm Ma'bad, very old woman, Umm Ma'bad. Her husband was away with his goats, and she and the Prophet said and Abu Bakr, they knew who she was, so they heard about her. So he said to her, Ya Umm Ma'bad, O Umm Ma'bad, do you have some food for us? And she said, come, yes, yes, I've got some food, but only a little bit. When they went, they found that she only had a little bit, not even enough for her, herself and her husband. So the Prophet saw a little sheep at the end of her house, and he said, what about that sheep over there? Has it got any ewe? It's a ewe, it's a female sheep. Does it have any milk in it? She said, it's old, it's no longer produces any milk. He said, bring it to me. He brought it and he did an act of miracle. Allah obviously is the one who gave the miracle. So he wiped over the back and underneath and he says a few words and subhanAllah he filled up with milk. They filled a whole bucket and they drank all of them and then he filled another bucket up and kept it for them. And when her husband returned, he said, where did you get the milk from? And she said, who came? And then she gave what we have today, the most clearest description of what the prophecies we want to look like. This hadith about Mubabat, its chain is a little bit weak, but it has many other hadiths that support it, support this meaning. She said, Oh my husband, a man with his companions came and there was a blessing that he blessed our sheep by the will of God. He was a man with obvious beauty and cleanliness. He was so he's traveling in the desert, but he, he didn't look dirty. No matter where he traveled, he always looked clean. She said he was a man with obvious beauty and cleanliness. So I just translated her words. A glowing face. His facial expressions were always glowing when you looked at him. And a naturally good appearance in mind and character. With no bulging stomach disgracing him. <laughs> it's, not, it's not meant to disgrace anyone here, brothers. So, no bulging stomach disgracing him, meaning he, didn't, he wasn't a big eater and stuff. Um, 
or a small head belittling him. These are her words. Is obviously and openly handsome. As soon as you look at him, anyone looks up and says, what a handsome man. And she said, and wholly beautiful. Anyway you looked at him, it was beautiful to look at him. His eyes are wide, wide eyes, and very white and black. The, the iris of his eye was very black, and the white around it was very white. No blemishes, no veins, nothing. Very, very clear. As if you drew, you drew as if you coloured them with paint, with white paint and black. And the eyelashes were long, whose voice is devoid of hoarseness. So no it's not raspy, it's not scratchy, but clear and pleasant to the ear. His neck was long, he had a long neck, a strong long neck. And his beard was full, the white part of whose eyes is extremely white and the black part of whose eyes is extremely black, as if his eyelids have cotton naturally. Eyeliner. You know the eyeliner? So he had natural eyeliner around his eyes. That he didn't put on, it was natural, he was born that way. Who is dignified when silent and is gorgeous when speaking, who is the most beautiful and striking man for, from far, and the best and most beautiful from close, whose speech is sweet, clear, and decisive. When he spoke, he spoke in order and he was organized. His speech was neither vaguely short nor boringly and point pointlessly long, whose words flowed forth like a perfect string of pearls, as I said before, order and organized, of medium height. His height is neither short in a way that makes a person dismiss him, nor too tall that makes a person intimidated, who is a branch between two branches, meaning he sticks out. He, 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 so if you have three branches and the one in between looks so... So if you've got three people walking, he stands out, in other words. He is the most radiant of the three, and the most well-respected, whose companions surround him. When he speaks, they listen attentively to his speech, and when he commands, um, when he commands, they go to him and they listen to him and they fulfill his command without any hesitation. Who is well-served and attended, who is neither a scowler, uh, Laabis. Scala is someone who has a frown between his eyebrows. Have you seen these types of people? They've always got a frown. You know, it's always like they've got a chip on their shoulder. Every time I look at someone, you think they, they're looking into your soul, they want to kill you. He has a chip. It wasn't like that. He was, when you looked at him, he was very welcoming. Um, nor a prattler. A prattler, when uh, a meaning a blabbermouth. He wasn't a blabbermouth, a chatterbox. He didn't talk too much. These are her words of the Prophet among many other beautiful descriptions. So they left. On their way, do you remember that man Sarak ibn Malik? The man, the great warrior who fell off his horse? Now that guy, yeah he was a great horse rider, he was really good at war and everything, but he couldn't read and write, he wasn't really educated, and he was very simple in his mind. So he's galloping towards, he sees Muhammad and he sees Abu Bakr and his friends. He was very good at business, you know, he could follow footsteps. When he found them, he began to gallop towards them. He says, yes, the camels, the bounty. Abu Bakr was standing there next to the Prophet, a fair distance away. He hears the galloping and looks behind him, Abu Bakr. And he sees Surat ibn Malik, he recognizes him, and he knows that Surat ibn Malik you can't escape him, man. He will get you. He'll keep following until he gets you. 
And he started getting scared of God. So what did he do? He started walking behind the prophet. Behind him. All the time. Why? So that if the guy gets to him, he'll get to Abu Bakr first. And he would say to the Prophet, Ya Rasulullah, he's almost about to reach us. And the Prophet is walking so normally. He's not running, he's not jogging. And he's very calm. And he's making thicker. La ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, things like that. And Abu Bakr was getting really anxious. The guy's almost going to get to them. As soon as he got really close, Abu Bakr was getting ready to defend the Prophet when suddenly the horse tripped and Suraka fell forward. Suraka looks up and he goes, What? I have never fallen off my horse. So he said some swear words, gets back on his horse and gallops again, the horse fell again. By the second or third time, Remember, I told you Suraka was simple-minded, and really he was right. At this point, he was actually correct. He got up and he said, This is a bad omen. This man must be something special. I'm scared. Suraka became scared. He's got the weapons, he's got the horse, he's the one, he's the, uh, the bounty hunter. And he falls off, and he looked at it as a bad omen. He rushes to the Prophet, sits on his knees, and begs him to let him go. Suraka is begging the Prophet to let him go. So the Prophet looks back at him and he says, Ya Suraqa, as he's smiling. And Abu Bakr is looking with his open mouth thinking, This is amazing, what has just happened here? Rasul looks at him and says, Ya Suraqa, we will let you go, but I want to tell you something. O Suraqa the day, if I would live, if I could live to the day, when I see the bangles of Kisra, Kisra, Khosro, the emperor of Persia. In those days, the emperor of Persia was like, and Persia was a superpower, was a superpower of the world. Nobody could beat Persia. O Suraka, if I could live to the day when I see the bangles of Khosro, the emperor of Persia, in your own wrists. It means. The Muslims are going to conquer Persia and they're going to take their jewelry and Suraka will be among them, among the Muslims, and he will wear the bangles of the emperor. Suraka says, really? Now Suraka believes everything Muhammad says. He goes, can you give me a letter to say that you free me? Meaning if the day comes, and any Muslim leader, if it's not you, I get afraid they might remember this day and try to um, execute me because I tried to kill you. Can you write me a letter or something to say that guarantees my security in the future if I'm going to live till then? And he told Abu Ghraib not to write something and he sealed it. Surat al Mumali lived on and became a Muslim until the day when Umar ibn Khattab became the Khalifa. So we're talking from there, Ili. What, more than 20 years later? And truly they conquered Persia, and Umar ibn al-Khattab was the Khalifa, and they brought all the treasures of Persia. And then he said, where is Suraqa? Umar, the Khalifa, he says, where is Suraqa? Suraqa says, here I am. He says, here are the bangles of Khosrow, where then? 
as the Prophet said. So he put him on him and he walked around. Look at me, he showed off. Now this is a time when you're allowed to show off. Why? Not because of the vandals, because the Prophet promised him. Then after that, Muhammad said, take them off now. Because what do you mean the Prophet promised him? Because the Prophet didn't say you're going to keep them. He said you will wear them. Take them off. They go to the Muslims. <laughs> and he took them off. That was it. That was the story of Surah ibn Malik on their way, so they reached, in the end, they reached Medina. And we all know the welcoming that they did for the Prophet Abu Bakr in Medina. In Medina, there were two types of people that were called the Muhajirin and the Ansar. The Muhajirin are all the Muslims in the early, early stages of Islam. They're the ones who supported the Prophet, who suffered, who got beaten up, who were persecuted. Some of them were killed, their parents were killed, some of their own family tortured them. They're the ones who stood by the Prophet in the first early years of Islam. These Muhajirin, they are the best of all creation after the Prophets. Remember that. What are they called? Muhajirin. And they are mentioned in the Quran. And the second people are called the Ansar. Muhajirin and Ansar. Ansar, the victors. The ones who can get victory to the Prophet. These two people, my dear brothers and sisters, forget about any, any top shot, gun shot heroes that you've ever heard of in your entire life. These are the heroes of all heroes. Wallahi, these particular people, the Muhajirun and the Ansar, if you can go back to the history books, brothers and sisters, learn as many of their names. Those are the real moral models, not those half-sub twisty influences that some of some of our youngsters are looking for. I'm not going to say the names in here. They don't deserve it. These are the men and the women whom Allah spoke in the Quran about and said, They were true men who stuck to the promise that they promised Allah. Some of them died. Some of them stayed at that time. They never went off the path even a tiny inch. They were so firm and strong. These people, when you hear their, their stories, brothers and sisters, Wallahi, this is what kept me, when I was a child, my father used to tell me the companion stories, and I just wanted to go back in time. Whenever I went to, went to secondary seven year old, I got bullied big time, man. I got bullied because I prayed. I got bullied because I didn't want a girlfriend. Well, not just because of that. And I got bullied. I got bullied for three things. Actually, four things. Got bullied because I didn't have a girlfriend. And I didn't want one. I got bullied because, well, that really includes touching a girl or kissing a girl or shaking hands. I didn't do any of that stuff. I'm good that. Number two, I prayed. They go, what the hell is this guy doing? Praying. And number three, um, I didn't swear. Why does he swear? It's not cool. And number four, I couldn't afford the paradise. Those days, that just came out. You had to have three stripes. You had the three stripes. One time there was four stripes, a special edition. So I've got the three stripes. If you can be a rebel and not wear the school uniform and come to school with Adidas, you are the coolest, the coolest hero in the entire school for the rest of the year until the new fashion comes out. Three stripes. My dad used to take me. Used to be called Fortress, you know, Dimitri. You know more of that. Or came up. I said, Dad, get me out of this. 
says, you know, this is Adidas. I get it's got two stripes. <laughs> one day he gets me an Adidas, it says Adidas. Fake one. Went to school with it, I became even a bigger loser with because I didn't wear Adidas. But this is what they looked at. Do you see how superficial it is? Is this how it is? Got clothing, you got three stripes. Can't have two, can't have one, you have to have three. One day I got sick having an operation on my ear. My uncle, he buys skin brands. Gets me a little present after having an operation. I open up, what is it? A whole suit of Adidas, man. It had the three stripes. It was a cheaper brand, but it's three stripes. That's the important thing. Went to school one day with my three stripes, man. Yeah, I was cool for that day. Although I stood up in the canteen. I felt like I took over the whole school. I got three stripes. See, this kid is standing there from year nine. I mean, you said, he's in year nine. He got jealous. He says, I've got one of those. I go, okay. He says, I've got two pigs. I said, alright. He says, I can afford more than that. See, I found it so weird. Even till today, this materialism still gets to our heads. You're cool because you have three. You know, it was so cool that some, some people used to go out of their way to steal out of those hands from shops just for the sake of reputation. Do you know what I'm talking about, brothers and sisters? This is what is happening now these days. Don't listen to them. It's rubbish. So anyway, brothers and sisters, what was I up to? Oh, these companions, they're amazing. These are the guys. I used to think about them and say, the companions used to cop worse. Wallahi, I'm on the truth. Every time they tease me, every time I held on more, because I knew I'm on the truth. Because Allah told me, the more they tease you for being on the truth, that's a sign that you are on the truth. And I just kept going, man. MashaAllah. I have lots of stories. Got into right? had a brother who was Muslim, became religious, alhamdulillah, one person converted to Islam for two weeks, and left it. There are lots of these stories, right? By the end of the year, those who bullied me, wallahi, they ended up respecting me. And now today, they're like 45, whatever, and they've got kids. You know, we went out last time. I said, hey, no alcohol. I said, still the same? I said, exactly the same, man. Even worse. No alcohol. SubhanAllah. So, brothers and sisters, stick to your identity and watch. Even the people who don't like you, they still respect you. Stick to having integrity. My brothers and sisters, these companions, Muhajirun and Ansar, are the best of all creation. Allah says in the Quran, Allah says in the Quran, Radiyallahu anhum wa radu Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with Him. Nobody in the entire Quran had this status where Allah says, has sealed in the Quran His pleasure upon them. They were the Muhajirun and the Ansar. Remember them. People of Medina, people of Mecca, they the Islam. They welcomed men and women. They welcomed the Prophet sallallahu In the beginning, they didn't know who it was. They didn't know if he was, which one was the Prophet, which was Abu Bakr. Because they had never seen him. Then when they saw Abu Bakr get his cloak and shield the Prophet from the sun, they knew who was the Prophet. They also knew the special status of Abu Bakr had with the Prophet. Hey guys, you know, Abu Bakr, I'm just let me tell you, he was skinny and he, was, he, he wasn't too tall. He wasn't very strong physically. But man, no one would mess with him. He'd be the first in the battlefield. And when they saw him, they ran away from him. Strength is not how big the biceps are. Strength starts in here. It starts with your faith and belief. 
So brothers and sisters, they entered, and you know the famous story of Tala al-Badra alayna min thaniya dilwada, you know that, 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 that song? I know you want to hear it. I'm not going to sing for you. I don't know if the entire Tala al-Badra is real, but it seems real, and it sounds nice. And what the heck, it's not going to harm us if we believe in it, no problem. Tala al-Badra alayna, the moon has shined upon us. Min thaniyat al-wada. From the uh, from the, the valleys of Wada and so on and so forth, it has become incumbent upon us to be grateful and thank Him and welcome Him. Everybody rejoiced. They were singing. They were um, celebrating the coming of the Prophet the Messenger of God. Abu Bakr was with him, and then they started living their lives in Medina. So we're talking about Abu Bakr. Sorry, so let me get off on that. I'll, I'll get um, off the topic on that, inshallah. So, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu had certain incidents in Medina. I'll just finish off with these few incidents. They're interesting. The first incident that happened in Medina between Abu Bakr and others is to show you some character. He was once sitting in the masjid with the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This hadith is in what we call Musnad Ahmad and Sunan Abu Dawood and others. So it's an authentic hadith. But one of them was sitting in the masjid and the Prophet was there as well. A man entered the masjid and started to say harsh words, abusive words to Abu Bakr. And Abu Bakr stayed quiet. He didn't say the same words back to him because he's not like him. He was silent while the Prophet was just sitting there waiting for the man to finish. Suddenly Abu Bakr anhu couldn't handle it and decides to reply something to the man. He said something hurtful to the man. Abu Bakr had the right. But he said one little word. Suddenly Rasulullah got up and he left the masjid. And Abu Bakr chased after him. Ya Rasulullah, why did you leave? He said, so long as that man was abusing me in the masjid, he was saved, but he was just abusing you. I could see an angel behind you replying back to him on your behalf. The moment you took it upon yourself to take your right, the shaitan came in and the angel went. And I did not sit in a masjid where the shaitan is. Because the shaitan loves to fill the flame zone. It is your right. If somebody says an F word to you, you want to say an F word back. You're not going to get sins for that unless you give more. But a Muslim doesn't do that. I know some of you might think, I shouldn't have said that. Because now I've got all the youngsters, it seems like a green light, if not already they say it a thousand times. I stuffed up, didn't I? I stuffed up. But what I'm saying is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Wallahu afwa. Allah says, exercise hardening, exercise patience and, and rise. Do you want to be like everyone else or do you want to rise? You want to rise above them, take control of yourself. So what are they like man? You can see the shaitan comes in. As soon as you take your right back in the same way the shaitan wants to, Make it worse. That's what happens. So avoid. Rasulullah was not a coward. But he used to say this. Do not wish to meet the enemy. Do not ever wish to meet the enemy. Don't say, I can't wait to see that I'm going to bash him and clobber him and put him to the ground and step on him. No. Rasulullah said, do not wish to meet the enemy. But if the enemy comes in your face and you have no option, then be a lion. But don't wish. A Muslim doesn't go to look for trouble. We get out of trouble. My brothers and sisters, 
another incident I want to mention to you. There was a dispute between Abu Bakr and a man in Medina by the name of Rabi'ah ibn Ka'ab al-Mastani. Now remember, they're all new to Medina now, and so little altercations happen here and there. The hadith is in Mustadrak al-Hakim, Sahih, by condition of Muslim, for those of you who want um, sources. They had a dispute over a land that the Prophet ﷺ had given each one of them. The Prophet gave one to this one, it was as a result of a, of a battle which had, which was when the Muslims were victorious. And he gave a land to Abu Bakr and a land to the other guy. So, Abu Bakr and him, they had a dispute over a palm tree that was right in the middle. He said, no, the Prophet said he's mine. He said, no, the Prophet said he's mine. Now remember, as the Prophet said it, each one feels there's a blessing in that. So Abu Bakr says, it's mine. And he says, no, it's mine. So Abu Bakr said something, not very bad, but just something that was a little bit hurtful. And the other man, got, he went quiet. When Abu Bakr realized what he had said, he grabbed hold of the man and said, please, say the same word back to me. Say the same word back to me. I don't want it on the day of judgment where you hold this against me. Take your right, please. Say it to me. And the man refused to reply back to Abu Bakr. said, I will not say it to you. Especially you, Abu Bakr. He knew the status of Abu Bakr. So Abu Bakr said, if you don't say to me, hurt me the same way I hurt you, I'm going to go and complain to the Prophet about you. <laughs> he goes, go. And he went. On his way, the man, he, 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 he went after Abu Bakr just to see what was going to go on. And he started trying to make fitna. Now these people, they're not really... The best to just side people and say, look at this guy. He goes to complain to the Prophet about you when he's the one who hurt you. So it's like he's in the right. How can he do that? What nerve? And then he said to them, don't you dare say words about Abu Bakr. Do you know who that man is? He is the friend of the Prophet the one who was with him in the cave, the one whom Allah mentioned in the, in the Quran. I fear that if I say something, if I listen to you, and then I say something to Abu Bakr, the Prophet will be displeased with me, which will make Allah displeased with me, and then I am doomed. Leave Abu Bakr alone. I accept. So when he got to the Prophet he found the Prophet looking at the man, and the man said, he said, he said to the man, did you really, is this true? Abu Bakr said something hurtful to you, and you refused to say it back? Take your revenge? He said, yes, Ya Rasulullah. He said, good. Please don't say anything to my friend. Instead, say, May Allah forgive you, Abu Bakr. That's what we say, boys. Brothers and sisters in the masjid, this is what we say. And in any way, our Muslim brothers, they heard you say, May Allah forgive you. May Allah forgive you. Abu Bakr then started to cry. He cried, he just got overwhelmed with emotion. With that statement, May Allah forgive you. And sometimes they loved each other. Do we love each other like that? Like that. At least we have role models who can show us the standard. At least we can never be like them. I wish I was a hair on his chest. My name is Bilal, named after Bilal the Ethiopian. I wish I was a hair on his chest. These people were something amazing beyond. And I'll finish it with this that there came a time, there came a time in the Roman world where most of the companions had died out. This is approximately in the 5th or 6th Hilaf. And there's probably a few companions left. And I'll just say very quickly, the Byzantines and the Romans had had battles with the Muslims so many times and thought, how did these people come out of the desert and beat the superpower of the Persians 
and gave us and took back land from us. This is amazing. It, they go. They were the companions, and it got to a point where the companions were like uh, a legend, a legend that their emperors used to ask if they captured any Muslims, they would ask, "Is he a companion? Is she a companion?" And if they said no, they go, oh, "Maybe they were just another Muslim." If they said they were a companion, they would keep them and try to offer them to marry their daughters, share with them their kingdom, try to convert them, because they literally, Allah, they believed that something in their genes, in their genetics, was divine, was special. So that if they marry from their daughters, their children will come out warriors and heroes like them. There is a big story actually about one great companion, but we'll leave it to another time in Ta'ala. At the time of Umar when we talk about his khilafah, it's a beautiful story about one of the companions there at the Roman. Last story for all of you before the Adhan is an incident that happened between the Prophet, the, between uh, the Prophet and his wife Aisha. Aisha is his daughter, Abu Bakr, is her dad. So Abu Bakr was the father-in-law of the Prophet, but he never, like he never called him son-in-law, he called him Rasulullah. One day, Abu came to visit him, and he accidentally heard from outside um, his wife and his daughter Aisha raising her voice slightly at the Prophet, basically, raising it a little bit. So he knows his daughter. So he knocks and asks permission to enter. The Rasulullah lets him enter. He entered, and this hadith is in Musnad Ahmad and authenticated by Shaykh al Albani and others. So it's an authentic hadith. He walks in and he goes straight to his daughter, straight to his daughter, and he says to her, daughter of Umm Ruman, so he wouldn't address her by her name, which showed that she knew that he was displeased with what she was doing. He says, daughter of Umm Ruman, that was his, his wife's name, Umm Ruman, is the messenger of God, the one that you are raising your voice at? Realize what he said. Didn't say to your husband. He said, "Is it the messenger of God that you are raising your voice at?" He turned it into a religious thing. This is beyond our family. And at the same time, he's teaching how couples should not yell at each other. So she went quiet immediately, and the prophet could see Abu Bakr getting very displeased and upset. So the Rasulullah goes and jumps in between them. And he moves Abu Bakr aside and he says, It's okay, Abu Bakr. As soon as he saw the Prophet jumping between them, Abu Bakr put his head down and walked out. He would not dare come in the way. So the Prophet he looks, he looks back at his wife and jokingly says, Didn't you see? Didn't you see I saved you from your dad? Rasulullah said, didn't you see how I saved you from your dad? After a little while, so you see, Rasulullah wasn't affected by what had happened with Aisha. She raised her voice a bit, but he was thinking it was okay. He's not going to make a big deal out of things. Then Abu Bakr comes back later and he calmed down. And he sees that the Prophet and Aisha joking and laughing. So then Abu Bakr gets a little bit upset and he says, Ya Rasulullah, أَشْرِكَانِ فِي سِلْبِكُمَا كَمَا أَشْرَكْتُمَانِ فِي حَرْبِكُمَا O Messenger of Allah, 
Well, do I get to be invited to share in your peace treaty as you invited me into your disputes and war? But Abu Bakr and this relationship, and the relationship between Rasulullah and his wife is this relationship. And he knew how to settle it. And Aisha knew how to also diffuse the situation. And Abu Bakr he will not accept for anyone to harm even his daughter, harm the Messenger of God. So Rasulullah so my brothers and sisters, the Aisha is now coming. There's a lot more to talk about. Inshallah, next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about Abu Bakr, followed by a very tragic end. Well, a tragic to us as Muslims, but it was inevitable, the death of the Prophet and the status of Abu Bakr and the companions in that time. Then we'll talk about how he was elected as a Khalifa. And Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Oh